in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul said in chapter 13, verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. That's exactly what we're here to do today. We're praying for those who are still in harm's way, but we are paying tribute today and honor to all the men and women who have faithfully served in the armed forces of the United States of America from its inception to this day. It is a privilege for me personally to talk about this because the love of God and country runs pretty deep in my family. There's six boys in my family, and I'm proud to say that every one of them served in the U.S. Army, except for my brother Donald, who's the oldest, who served in the Marine Corps, and we're still trying to forgive him for that. <laughs> but we still love him. Serving in the military was kind of a rite of passage in my family. In fact, my own mother, when I went into service in 75, my recruiter actually talked her into becoming a recruiting tool and uh, published her stuff in the, in the paper because of all of her sons who had served. And so they kind of uh, exploited my mother who had lots of sons who were in the Army at the time. So it was a rite of passage and, and, uh, for me. And it wasn't dependent upon whether it was a time of peace or not. In fact, all of my older brothers uh, served during the Vietnam War. And I went in, and when I entered in, the Vietnam War was actually coming to a close. It was still going on, but I, I didn't serve in the war itself. But my younger brother did serve in the first Iraq War. And while we honor those today who have served this country so well, what I want to focus on this morning is on the gospel and the importance of Jesus Christ in the life of a soldier. I'll throw this one in for free. I remember when I first got to uh, Fort Hood, Texas was where I served. And there was this young man, you go through quarantine there for about two weeks while they're, they're checking you in and, and you're going through before you get to your main company. And I'll never forget there was this young black man who we were sharing a room with. And I remember when he came in, he was enthusiastic. He was extremely enthusiastic and uh, much more than I was. I was, there, I was there for a lot of reasons, but joy was not one of them. And, but he was just so joyful. And I remember right away he started talking to me about Jesus Christ. And, and even though I had went forward when I was 13, it really didn't mean much to me at the time. But this kid was just enthusiastic about his walk with the Lord. And, and he kept talking to me and the other young man who was there going through the quarantine process at Fort Hood. And so, one of the few but very energetic and evangelistic young men that I met there while I was in the service started off right from the very beginning. There's an old German U-boat captain who's credited with having said this, there's no atheist aboard a submarine. And if there are, even they will start praying with the, when the depth charges start falling. It made me think of an article that I had read about many soldiers about years ago and, and through different wars who carried the Bible with them into battle and how they had been miraculously saved by its presence. I have a collection of these, and uh, 
included in the article were pictures, which I thought were amazing, of Bibles that were embedded. Some of them had many balls from the Civil War. Some of them were embedded with bullets, you know, from different wars and through different times. And There's actually museums that have these, and, and they're, they're amazing, really. This one here, it was from my stepdad, and this is called a Heart Shield Bible. It was issued in 1943. It's got a big piece of plate metal in the front of it, and so they would carry it in their pocket. Now, would it stop a bullet? Well, sometimes it did. And every soldier who said that his life had been saved by the Bibles that were containing these bullets, every one of them had given their, their, their glory and credit to Jesus Christ for having done that. In his second epistle to Timothy, the apostle Paul wrote in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, here's what he said. He said, Thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. It really should come as no surprise that the Apostle Paul used the analogy of a soldier when he was encouraging young Pastor Timothy. It takes three things to be a soldier. First, it takes faithfulness. Even the Marine Corps uses that theme as their motto, you know, Semper Fidelis, you know, Semper Fi, always faithful. It takes loyalty and it takes courage. All three attributes are basically understood in this phrase, esprit de corps. Those of us who have served, we understand what it means. Esprit de corps is defined as a common spirit that exists in the members of a group and inspires enthusiasm, devotion, and strong regard for the honor of the group. Some people have it in their minds that on Veterans Day, we honor only the fallen. And this is not true. We honor both the living and the dead. Because as we all know, some gave some, but some gave all. But every one of them who raised their right hand when they took the oath, whatever time and whatever war it was before they went, they pledged to give their lives to the cause that was laid ahead. In a long history that this country has of, of military service, the gospel has really played an enormous part during both in peace and in war. In fact, I have a small collection of these, as I said before, these Bibles that were issued. And I, and I loved reading the dedication pages to them. So I had a good friend of mine who owned an old and rare bookstore. And the older the Bible, the military books, I, I, would, I would buy them. And I still have them to this day because it's amazing to me how the gospel has been preached through times of war and by the servicemen themselves. Why would soldiers have carried Bibles with them? Hmm. Well, they knew that to be a soldier, a good soldier anyway, it takes faithfulness, loyalty, and courage. Three things that any man or woman of God knows all too well. I have no idea what generation of commanders decided that it was a good idea to issue Bibles to their troops 
or the commissions to those who we call chaplains. But I have no doubt that somewhere in that long history of our country and our service to the, to, to the military, whoever made that decision had studied the, uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to draw your attention to verses 10 through 7. Paul says here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of the Spirit wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The long history of the United States has been enmeshed at different times with many different enemies. As a country, we have often found ourselves on the defense for those who could not defend themselves. Many a country throughout the world rightly owes a deep gratitude of loyalty to the United States because had it not been for the service men and women that make up our military, the world atlas as we know it today would be a much different thing. Time would not permit me this morning to go back to the establishing of our own country and to the War of Independence, and all the wars that were fought after that, and to cover each and every one of those and the miraculous things that God had wrought through them, and the battles that so valiantly and courageously were fought. The first one, of course, was against King George and his unjust treatment of the citizens of the Empire of England, which turned into the United States, as you know. At every turn since the War of Independence, our military has been called upon to defend, and not only to defend, but to reestablish, and in some cases, and in some countries, to establish the freedoms that we ourselves enjoy both here and abroad. The sad part, my friends, is sometimes American blood has been shed for those who do not appreciate it. Yet, our men and women went freely and willingly to do that which their country had called upon them to do. Being in the military during peacetime is a relatively easy task. But when the swords begin to rattle and when the bullets begin to fly, the United States military has always risen to the challenge. 
It's also been during these times that many a revival, most people don't realize this, but many a revival have broken out in the ranks of the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and Marines during times of war. And for obvious reasons. You know, when we are in harm's way and we're the closest to the battle, our awareness of our own mortality is, of course, really present at that moment. And so turning to God and turning to Jesus Christ at that time has been a great thing. And many soldiers have used it as an opportunity for evangelism during that time. Thus we're reminded in Ephesians 6 that just like our brothers in arms, we too as Christians and children of God must put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand, to withstand the the wiles of the devil by taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. While physical battles come and go, the spiritual battle which we are faced with is ever and never ending. It's ever going on. In Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul wrote, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, battle is not for the faint of heart, my friends. Whether we be talking physical or spiritual, one takes no less courage than the other to fight. Our military history is overwhelming or overflowing with, with, with examples of great men and women who have done extraordinary things in the heat of battle. You might recall a man by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore. He wrote a book called We Were Soldiers. On November 14, 1965, Lieutenant Colonel Moore led the 7th Cavalry of the 3rd Brigade, the 1st Cavalry Division, in the week-long Battle of Ladrang. Colonel Moore and all of his men found themselves encircled by a massive enemy, completely outnumbered and outgunned. The soldiers were left with no landing zone for the helicopters to come in, so they could not be removed from, from, the, from the site, even though they were extremely outnumbered. But in spite of the odds, in spite of all the things that were against them, Lieutenant Colonel Moore led his men to fight another day after a week of battle. And it was extraordinary when you go back and read the story of all that went on during that time. His men would come to call him yellow hair, which I always thought was funny. It was a tongue-in-cheek thing that they had come up with because they were alluding to the legendary General George Armstrong Custard, who had commanded as a lieutenant colonel himself, the 7th Cavalry Regiment at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Same regiment of Colonel Moore, but only 100 years, not quite 100 years before. So I can only imagine what he thought when they gave him the command of the 7th Cavalry because the last one who had it had been custard. And then yet he found himself in this very grave, grave situation not too long after that. But yet... He rallied his men, putting himself in harm's way. Moore was actually awarded the Distinguished Service Cross 
which is second only to the Congressional Medal of Honor for his heroism in the Battle of Ladrang. Faithfulness, loyalty, courage are the earmarks of heroes. I have a friend in Zanesville, Ohio. His name is Mike DeBolt. Mike was a young man, an enlisted man. About 10 years ago, he found himself in Afghanistan, embroiled in the middle of a heated battle when his home V had been hit and he was severely wounded. And Mike, even though he was extremely wounded, helped to pull his men from that thing, even one of his officers, some of who didn't make it, but, but he continued to put down suppressing fire and to shield his fellow soldiers, putting himself even more in harm's way, even though he was severely wounded himself. He too, like Colonel Moore, received the Distinguished Service Cross. The interesting thing about Mike's story and what jumped out at me when I first met him and as he began to tell me the story, because actually at the time, he was awarded originally the Silver Star, which is still extremely powerful, really. I mean, it takes an enormous amount of, of heroism to, to, to gain that kind of, a, of award. But 10 years later, after the, the Army had investigated it thoroughly, because that's how long it takes them to do those things, because the Army never does anything quick, they finally awarded him the Distinguished Service Cross, second only to the Congressional Medal of Honor. But the interesting thing about Mike's family was in a war before. In his same family, his uncle was a recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. I don't know if you know what the odds of that is, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty small that that would happen in the same family. Sometimes heroism, my friends, runs in families. It's no less like the legacy that we give to our children as we pass down faith in Jesus Christ unto them and create in them the desire to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One thing I can tell you about the military is that when there are good officers, morale runs high. As I mentioned, Lieutenant Colonel Moore had promised to his men before they went to the battle and found themselves in Ladrang, he promised them that I would be the first one to put my foot onto the battlefield and I would be the last one to take it off. And he was a man of his word. It's exactly what he did. His men spoke so highly of him. I couldn't, it would take me hours to go through all the stories that you could read about Lieutenant Colonel Moore during his escapades in battle and how his men revered him because he was a good officer. What I didn't mention about him, however, is that Lieutenant Colonel Moore was also a devout Christian. And like Stonewall Jackson before him, he seemingly was fearless. When Lieutenant Colonel Moore would be in battle, it was nothing for him to stand up and to rally his men. Sometimes he would be fighting and, and, and actually would take shots and wounds that would hit not his body, but something on his body, a flashlight or something, and, 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 and without flinching, would continue to rally his men to have courage. 
Those are officers that are hard to find, my friend. But he was a man of God, and he believed. Just like Stonewall Jackson. I remember when they asked Stonewall Jackson, you know, who had lost his arm in one of the battles, and they, they said, you know, because he was fearless. He seemed to be fearless because he stood on the horse. He stood up in the battle. And that's why he got his They were in fighting extreme odds. And his men were retreating. And one of his soldiers looked up and here he sat on his horse. And he wasn't making a muscle. He wasn't moving. And one of his captains said, look, there's Jackson like a stone wall. And his men rallied and actually won the battle that day because they saw their commanding officer standing up in the heat of the battle. Turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 5. Because I think it's those types of officers, those who have this enormous history of valor and of heroism, who are brothers in the Lord, who no doubt in my mind got their inspiration from another officer who was a captain. And he was a captain, really, of the largest army that there ever was and ever is. It still is. Joshua chapter 5, look at verse 13. Now this, let me set this up for you before we read it. The Lord has told Joshua that you're going to go and you, I want you to take Jericho. They were camped round about it. Really no way to take it because it was a walled, protected city. And so this is before the battle, before anything was done. Joshua was ready for battle. And, and they were all armored. They were all dressed in their battle gear and preparing for the battle. And it says, and it came to pass, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, there stood a man over against with him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell to his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. This is what we call a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In theology, we also call it a Christology or an anthropomorphism. But we know that it's Jesus that Joshua encountered because Joshua worshipped him. And he did not refuse the worship. As a matter of fact, he told him to remove his sandals because the place on where he stood was holy. Everything that Jesus touches is holy. We're told in the New Testament because he is the branch, he is the, the, the vine. And because the vine's holy, the branches are holy also. Those of you who are in Christ, if Christ has touched you, you're holy too. But here he is in Joshua, in the time of Joshua, before he ever came as this soldier 
the captain of the Lord's host. One of the things that I've always loved about Jesus is that he is a servant leader. It has often surprised me when looking at the depictions of Christ an artist's conceptions as they had painted him in the mid-century, if you look at the medieval times, how he's always painted as an emaciated man with ribs showing, skinny, fragile. And what we know about him, could this could not be further from the truth. I mean, even after he came to the, to the earth, what did he do for a living? He was a carpenter. And he didn't have a radial arm saw, my friends. He, they hewn wood by hand. Jesus was quite the opposite of that. He was not frail. He was a pretty healthy man. And yet, even in his precarnate visitation to Joshua, I have no doubt, even though the Scripture doesn't tell us this, that he was dressed in his armor because he had his sword and he was drawn because they were ready for the battle. I am positive that when Joshua saw that, it scared him to death. Thus he said, be thou friend or foe, some of your Bibles might say. He wanted to know whose side are you on because it scared him. What an example Jesus Christ is to those soldiers and to those officers who would dare to use him as an example. Paul told Timothy, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I pray that you want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We want to follow the one who is leading. Jesus is the one leading. He is the captain of the Lord's host. He is the captain of my soul. I pray that he's the captain of yours. When he finally did come into the battle, which is this earth, taking on the form of a man, he triumphed over the world and over the principalities and the powers that tried to stop him. The Bible says, making an open mockery of them, triumphing over them in his cross. And though he shed his blood for all, not all appreciate it. Some even mock the sacrifice that he paid. Paul's admonition to us, my friends, was to pay tribute to whom tribute is due and honor to whom honor is due. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, we take this as a direct commandment from the Lord. Thus we honor our military today. Not just because of their faithfulness, their loyalty, and their courage, which is simply a reflection of the one who had more courage, more loyalty, and is always faithful, which is Jesus Christ We honor them because in reality the Lord has used many a soldier since the inception of this country to take the gospel of peace not only into the armed forces but in many cases to evangelize those those who have been liberated through the blood and the sacrifice of our soldiers on foreign shores. Before I close, I want you to understand that it is with both humility and pride that I get to honor all those who have served this country, who took no thought for their own lives, but 
in actuality have fulfilled the words of Jesus himself when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. I'm very thankful to have been a part of such a high tradition. But I'm more proud of those men and women, both from our history to the present, who saw their military service not only as a duty to our nation, but as an opportunity for missions and for evangelism, and have fulfilled that commission by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, both here and abroad. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you. First, Lord Father, for just being such an example to us of faithfulness and loyalty and courage. We are all indebted to you and to your grace and to your mercy. But Lord, this day, we also want to thank those who have laid down their lives, Lord Father, and those who are serving faithfully even now. And who have taken on themselves, Lord Father, the earnest call and commission that you gave to us to preach the gospel to all the world and to do that no matter where they're at. We love you so much. I pray, Lord Father, that you would use your word, that it would go out. Touch hearts, Lord Father, to those who don't know you and draw them to yourself. We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.